How you guys doing? Good. I hope. I hope you good. Drop it in the comments. How you doing? How was your week? If uh, you did anything interesting at home this week, uh, my wife uh, so lovingly baked me a Toblerone cheesecake, and I have been enjoying that as best as possible. You know, it's all about the simple pleasures in life, isn't it? Just trying to find the best that you possibly can in this season. Hey, if it's your first time here checking in, if you were scrolling through Facebook and you just found yourself here on Zoe Church's live stream, welcome. My name is Ruben. I'm the pastor here. And we've had to switch up what our services typically look, at, look like because we're not able to meet in person. But we're going to worship together. We're going to praise God. And we're going to continue to look into scripture as we get uh, uh, to know our God and, and, and as we grow deeper in our faith, especially from last week's message, how this is a season that we're going to focus a lot more on our personal relationship with Jesus so that we can grow strong, deep roots in Jesus and in the faith. So I'm excited. Um, as you heard that last song, uh, Daniel and I, we had the privilege of just being able to write it and God just orchestrating even just the words in that song. And a lot of what that song is about is actually what this series and what this message is about. See, we started a series last week called Align. And this is idea of how, in a sense, we are all out of alignment with God. We are all out of connection or out of synchronization with our creator, God. And how this misalignment, it leads to chaos in our world, this lack of a union, this lack of a connection with our God, living the way we were created to live leads to all sorts of destruction in our life. And because of this, we discovered that we were never created to live this way. We were made to, to live in alignment with our God and that when we realign ourselves as children of God, what happens is we start to hear him and to see him clearly. And that's powerful because misalignment leads to chaos, but realignment leads to clarity. And it's so important, especially in the season where, when a lot of things aren't clear, that when you're able to connect to God, understand God, and know God, that it leads to a clarity in your relationship with Him. And so that, that's what we're going to be focusing on, focusing on today. We spoke about 1 John 2 and how, you know, uh, John kind of opened up the scriptures and described this a little bit. And he said the desires of the flesh, meaning all the sin in the world, all the things that come of this world that's not of the Spirit of God, all these things kind of uh, fall into two major categories. And he called them the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. And we, and we, and we opened it up a little bit, but today we're going to dig in a little bit deeper where the desires of the eyes or our perspective in life, where today it's all greed, I want, I want, I want, I want, and that's not how our perspectives or our godly perspective is supposed to be. And then the latter part, which we're going to be focusing on next week, which is the pride of life or the things that you love in life or you value in life and talking about the heart, that, that asking the question, do you really value God the most? Is God the number one value in your Life, And so that's what we're going to be focused on next week. But today, we're going to be talking about our perspectives. We're going to focus on our perspectives as, as people. Because this is true. Who you, who you are focused on in your life and how you view this world will determine who you become and what you're able to accomplish. 
I'm going to say that again because I know you're still kind of adjusting and getting your seats and your pens and your Bibles and all that. Because who your lives are focused on and how you view this world will determine who we become and what we're able to achieve. If you don't believe in me, I want you to just watch this video real quick. I'll explain it, uh, but just watch it with, with no bias. Go ahead, play the video. Now, why that video is so funny, if you're not at home chuckling, I, I, when I watch this video, I laugh every single time. Because my child walks fine. What happened was we took her to McDonald's earlier that day and she kind of tripped over this little, like, you know, this little, little hump on, on the floor. And so she thinks every single time there's a little something, like a little bit of an elevation on the floor, in her mind, her past experience has now impacted her current perspective. So every single time she sees that, Instead of walking like she can normally, what she does is she drops on all fours, crawls over it, and gets back up and starts walking like a regular person. What's really funny is this is what my child actually can do. Go ahead, play the next video. If that is not hilarious to you, I don't know what will make you laugh. She is jumping over this wall in one video and then she's crawling over this little height on the floor in the other because our perspectives determine our ability. Our perspective of how we view and see the world are so valuable and important. If I were to say it another way, I'd say it like this, that our vision in life determines our direction in life. If you wanna see where someone is headed in life, you gotta look at how they view the world. See, our perspectives on how we view the world and how we view ourselves and how we view our problems and how we view God, a lot of the times are based on our past experiences. And so we live not able to live in full freedom living with something holding us back. But when we live with the right kind of perspective, that's when we get the correct view of how we view the world, how we view ourselves, how we view our problems and how we view our God. And so what I wanna do is I wanna jump to some insight that Jesus shares with us Go ahead and turn your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, to Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Now, wherever you happen uh, to be uh, joining us or whatever journey you are currently on, if you don't have a Bible, don't worry, it's going to be up on the screen soon. But if you are like, I, I don't really follow Jesus, I'm not really in that space, I don't really, I I'm not a Jesus follower, I'm kind of in that space, but I'm still trying to figure out faith. Hey, don't worry about it. You know, I was in that place at one point in my life, and it is a journey, and I'm just so glad that you've chosen to be here, to walk uh, with us on this journey, to experience uh, what it is we believe here. 
But I think this is one of the stories where, where you can definitely uh, listen in and, and, and be wowed by. Because it's one of those stories that I'm a believer in Jesus and I still go, that is absolutely amazing. That is not normal. There's something so unique about this. And so if you are here and you're like, you're kind of on the fence, I'm just going to ask you, just lean in a little bit today. Because I think that God is going to powerfully speak to you today. So a little bit of uh, history, a little bit of backdrop, just to kind of understand what's going on right now before we jump to Luke, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. As you turn your Bibles there, here, here's just some, 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 some history as to what's going on. Jesus has just done this amazing miracle. He fed, Scripture says, over 5,000 men. We actually don't know how many people were there because the truth was there were probably children and there were women there as well. So we're talking over 10,000 people who had no food, who were following Jesus because they were listening to his messages and they were just blowing him away, blowing them away rather. He says, hey, we got to feed these people. And he takes a few bread and a few fish and he does this amazing miracle, multiplies it and feeds everybody. And so the crowds are going insane. They're going, they're like, wow, this is amazing. Can you imagine if somebody just went like that and everybody in their houses had all the toilet paper they want in the world? Can you imagine? Like, like, like that's kind of like what people, what's going on right now. People are like, this is amazing. Because Jesus has just done this amazing miracle. They're like, Jesus, pray for, they're probably going to him and asking him, you know, hey, Jesus, come and, you know, heal, pray, speak. We want to hear from you. There's no one who, who does things like you do. And the disciples, the close, you know, 12 of Jesus, they're probably tired because can you imagine having to serve that many thousands of people and just a few of you having to like distribute all the fish and all the bread? Like, let's just bring it to modern day, you know, examples. So they imagine going to like a Marley's game or like a 905 NBA game, right? And you have like 10, 15,000 people in the crowd and yet you got like, all 12, they're like, they got to be their ushers, they got to be the security, they got to be the guy with the popcorn, you want popcorn, you want popcorn, kid. They are tired. By the end of serving all of these people, they are dead tired. They're like, I am done. This is tiring. And so Jesus, knowing what's going on with the disciples, knowing exactly what the situation is like, jumps in and he speaks and he starts saying some powerful things. And this is really where I want to enter in to the passage. Verse 22 says this, immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Jesus knew that his disciples were tired and they knew that as long as uh, they were with the crowds, they uh, wouldn't get any rest. In fact, they wouldn't get any rest because in that time, if Jesus really came, this is a totally sidebar, but if Jesus really came just be some huge political figure. He would take the moment where he does one of the biggest miracles and juice everything out of the people, taking all the glory, stay there with his people, which is what the disciples probably wanted. As much as they were tired, they're like, yo, we, uh, we next to Jesus, you know? We're, we're tight with, with the guy who, who did the miracle. And so they're probably getting the fame and the fortune and everybody's pumping their tires and they're feeling really nice about knowing the real, you know, the big guy. You ever done that? Where you're like, yo, I met Justin Bieber the other day. You know, have you ever done that? You're like, I know a really cool guy. That's what it was like. The disciples knew this. But Jesus knows what they really need. Rather than them getting their ego stroked, he says, y'all need rest. 
and he forces them to go away from the crowds. He takes to put them on the boat and says, go. And so they go off on the sea. This is totally opposite to what the culture would have deemed normal, especially for someone who, who people thought Jesus was just some big political figure who's coming to, you know, make a big name for himself. But Jesus wasn't that at all. He came for a totally different purpose. But so, here's the part where you and I stumble a little bit, though. Because you and I sometimes are like the disciples and like the culture. 2,000 years later, something just hadn't changed. Our sinful nature inside of us, it's so easy for us to ignore the obvious and embrace the insignificant. It's so easy for us to ignore the obvious, that life is not found in the things of this world and the pride and the, and the proudness that people give us and the glory and all of that. But instead, we embrace the insignificant and ignore what's obvious, that life is not found in those things, but in God. Life is not found in the temporal, it's found in the everlasting. But we so easily want momentary pleasures rather than eternal glory. And so we always exchange this. And I'm going to speak to the Christians in the room right now. I'm about to step on some toes, but that's okay, because I know Scripture is talking about this, and this is important. Some of us as believers, think about it. We're more interested about being polished on the outside. We're more concerned about being polished on the outside than being purified on the inside. We're more interested in how we appear and how we look and how, what other people think, think and say about us than we are about, well, how am I actually doing? What's actually going on inside of me? But see, that's not the case at all. Jesus knows what we need. He knew what the disciples needed in that moment. He sends them away. And verse 23, after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Sidebar, but, but, and we're going to start a whole new series based on this verse. It's just the importance of solitude with God. And Jesus shows us the most important example of, 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 of finding solitude with God, spending important prayer time and important intentional just time in hearing and knowing your creator. Verse 24, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. Walking on the sea. Yep, that's not a typo. That actually is in scripture. What's going on? Well, they were sent out, the disciples were sent out on the boat on the sea. They were out there all night. About the fourth watch of the night is about between 3 to 6 a.m. And so early, early, early morning. In fact, for some of us, that's the time when we actually are getting to bed these days. Let's be honest. Uh, sometimes I'm guilty. I'm guilty of that. But 3 to 6 a.m., they're getting rest. The waves are hitting, crashing the boat. The water's going crazy. The wind is blowing. They're not able to get control of everything that's going on. And then, out of all the things, Jesus is walking on the water to the disciples. Verse 26, but when the disciples saw him on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. For me, I'm like, yeah, what else would you respond with? Imagine like on a boat in the middle of Lake Ontario. 
and you see some dude walking up on the water, I'd be like, uh, motor away. Like, I would not intentionally think, let's have a conversation. I'd be like, what's going on? This is weird. And remember, this miracle is a time before holograms, is a time before virtual reality, is a time before green screens and all of that. So they were like in disbelief of what was going on and what they were seeing. So they're like, this is a ghost. What else could this be? It's absolutely unnatural. But verse 27, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. See, Jesus is, is sharing his intentions. He didn't come to put fear in his disciples. He just wanted to hang out with them. He just wanted to jump in the boat. I, I, I'm pretty sure Jesus knew that they were going to be scared, but I, that's actually hilarious that Jesus, Jesus is like, yo, they're probably going to be scared, but whatever. I'm just, I'm just going to go. I'm just, I wanted to be with them right now, so I'm just going to go. I find that so funny. But anyhow, Jesus is a very funny dude. So he, he, get, he walks on the water, okay? He gets there. And Peter answered him, verse 28, and Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Peter, the spokesperson, Peter, the oldest disciple, Peter, the dude that usually is like, I got this, guys. I'm going to help out. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take care of this. He's like, you're younger ones. I, I already see him, right? You're younger ones. Don't worry about it. I got this. Yo, uh, th- that's really you, Jesus. Uh, tell me to come out into the water. At which I read this and I go, Peter, you're amazing. That is absolute. What, what faith you have, Peter, right on. And the same sentence, I think, what were you thinking? What if, what if he says, Come. What if he says, sure, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna call him? Like, what are you doing? Like, I'm, I'm thinking, Peter, what are you saying? And then verse 29, he said, come. And so Peter, obviously what happened? So Peter got out of the boat and don't miss this. Don't miss this. He walked on the water and came to Jesus. You know what it says in the Greek? The same thing. People start fighting and they're like, oh, but he didn't. No, the scripture says he walked on the water. It's so, don't miss this. Jesus just commanded, not just himself to walk on water, but another man at the power of his word and another human being walked on water. We move past this so easily, but there's such power when Jesus speaks. I mean, can you imagine what the other disciples are thinking at this point? They're like, I know I would. I'm like, yo, Peter's going out. Somebody get the life jacket. He going drown. This is, this is, you know, he's hallucinating Peter. And then immediately he gets out of the boat. He starts walking on water. I would be the first one to go second. Absolutely. I would. Because I'm like, I want it too, Jesus. I want to jump on. I want the newest, latest thing. I want to jump. I want to walk on. That's so cool. Jesus, me next, me that. That would be me. And I can't imagine what the disciples were saying at that point, but Peter's walking on water. He was doing the impossible (laughs) because he was focused on Jesus. And he was like, I'm going to come. But here is where everything changes, and this is where I want us to spend most of our time today. Verse 30, but when Jesus saw the wind, he was afraid. But when Peter, when he saw the wind, when he saw the wind, he was afraid. You see, the moment Peter's eyes moved from being fixed on Jesus 
to being fixed on the waves and the winds crashing down around him. Peter went from doing the impossible, literally, walking on water because of Jesus, to in the next moment, letting fear creep in, letting doubt creep in, letting the thoughts of, oh, those waves gonna get me. Oh, that wind's gonna push me over and I'm gonna fall. And the moment he let that thought creep in, fear crept in, and that's it, he started drowning. See, Peter lost sight of what miracle Jesus just did. Peter, a verse before, seconds before, was walking on water. How many of y'all can put your hands and be like, yup, I did that one the other day? No, you can't. See, this, and I don't want you to miss it, this is how powerful our perspective in life is. That even if God does the greatest of things in our life for us and through us, if we do not continually fix our eyes on Jesus daily, if we do not continually fix our perspectives to be focused on Jesus, even in those things, we're gonna forget the amazing things that God has done for us. Because that's what happens to Peter. Or in one moment, he's walking on water, and the next, he's drowning. Out of desperation, he cries out to Jesus. Verse, the, the end of that verse says, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. In verse 31, it says, Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took a hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? See, herein lies the secret. Herein lies the secret of perspective. Our focus will lead us either to faith or doubt. Our focus, what we're focused on, our vision, our perspective, will either lead us to faith or to doubt. See, Peter's faith in Jesus made him do the impossible earlier. But Peter's doubt made him drown. So here's my question. In your life, who are you focused on? Who is your perspective for life really on? See, when the waves and the winds of life come crashing down all around you, is your focus on how big your God is or how big your problem is? Do you start looking at the waves and the winds and start buckling like Peter? Or do you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and walk on water? You see, we think that Peter was the only one who kind of went through some of these things, but he wasn't. All throughout Scripture, in fact, almost every story I can think of in Scripture has some element of when those people, when specific people choose to put their faith back in God, when they are focused on God and the things that God has asked them to do, they do things that are absolutely impossible and unnatural to mankind. That overall not only blesses them, but blesses and glorifies God's name and his purpose. Just think about some of the examples in scripture. We're just writing this sermon. I was just thinking of examples of people that just did the impossible because of who they were focused on. Noah. He was focused on God's mission rather than people's insults. They were screaming at him, you're Noah, you're building an ark, you're Noah. What did you say? A flood's going to come. He's going to take, he's going to kill us all. The whole world's going to die, Noah. 
Yeah, right, Noah. Get a life, Noah. You guys are cool. Can you imagine the insult? Man's building this huge ark. Never been a flood in, in all of history. Noah's like, it's going to come. God said so. But Noah was focused. Noah was focused on God's mission rather than people's voices and their insults. Abraham was focused on God's promise rather than the riches of this world and the safety and the comfort this world offers. You see, Abraham could have easily said, no, God, you know what? My father's gone. You know what? I know you're telling me to come out into this new land, but I'm from the earth, the Chaldeans. I'm going to go back. I'm going to chill. You know, that's where I have connections. I have friendships. I have family. I know people who are back there. I, 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 I'm a lot more richer when I'm with my stuff rather than leaving everything and having to journey this way to this land you say that you'll give me. It's a lot more safe, God. It's a lot more comfortable. God, I'm not going to. But he doesn't. He is more focused on God's promise than he is on everything else. And he says, no, I'm, I'm going to follow the creator of the universe. I'm going to put my faith in you, God, and I'm going to just focus. And my perspective is going to be what you say. Not what I say, what you say. Not what the people say, but what you say. Think about Joseph. An amazing example is Joseph. Joseph was focused on God's goodness and his sovereignty rather than his current calamity. Because see, right now, Joseph, in his current calamity, the man was the favorite child, went from being the favorite child of a rich household to being the slave of a slave in Egypt. The man goes to being uh, thrown in jail unjustly. And he's sitting in jail, and he could have easily said, oh, forget you, God, look at where you got me, God. Look at all my problems, God. Look at everything around me, God. I want nothing to do with you, God. But he doesn't, and you know how we know that? Because when somebody has a problem, he goes back to the thing that God gave him, his gift to interpret dreams. And he says, I can do that. I know how to interpret dreams. That was a gift God gave me. And he uses that same gift. And then he goes from the lowest point that he possibly can go from the jail all the way up to being the person who reigns over all of Egypt. And he says, listen, I know that y'all meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He was focused on God's goodness and sovereignty. When the waves and the winds of your life come crashing down, is your focus on how big your problems are or how big your God is? See, it's this that we have to align back to God, that we would fix our eyes on Jesus. Scripture says that he is the perfecter and the founder of our faith. I love, uh, excuse me, I love Eugene Peterson's The Message Translation on this verse, where he says in Hebrews 12 too, he says, keep your eyes on Jesus. And that's my challenge for us today, that our perspective has to be rewired. We have to rewire the way we view our, the world, the, the way we view ourselves, the way we view our problems and the way we view God. We have to rewire all of those things and keep our eyes on Jesus. Can we do that as a church? Can we do that? Whoever's joined, whoever's listening, can we do that if, as people who, who choose to follow and love Jesus Christ? That we would keep believing, that we would keep the faith, that we would keep running the race of staying true to Jesus even in our current situations. That we would keep our eyes and our perspectives and our point of views all focused on Jesus, saying, Jesus, you speak. Jesus, you define. Jesus, you give life. 
because you are the perfecter and the founder of my faith. Three quick ways that I'm going to just kind of like spitball so that you can just grab ways that help us do this. Spending time with Jesus, spending time talking about Jesus with other disciples, and then spending time thinking about Jesus. Three areas. One, do you spend time with him? Do you spend time speaking to him, getting to know him, reading about him in scriptures? Because if you don't, it's going to be really hard to focus on him. You're not going to know who he is and who, and who he says he is and what, what his heart's about. Do you spend time talking to your uh, friends or your family members who are also believers in Jesus, wrestling over certain passages and, and scriptures, encouraging one another, continuing to fellowship over phone or FaceTime or Zoom calls or whatever you got to use. Because that's another element that will help you grow as a community. And then lastly, that you would spend time thinking about Jesus and who he is to you. For me, I know for me, the, the, just an example, for me usually it just turns into I'm thinking about how grateful I am. How grateful I am to God for the position that he's put me in the place that he's given me, just for the, the things that I genuinely don't deserve, and yet he's blessed me with it. And for me, it turns from thinking about God and just the, 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 the element of just meditating over the goodness of God. And then it usually, for me, I love playing my guitar and just singing at home. And so it usually turns into me grabbing my guitar, singing, and, you know, and my daughter comes and she's like, I want to sing too, I want to sing too. And, and so we sing together. And that's usually what it turns into. It turns into worship which is another element of us being able to focus back on God, to fix our eyes on Jesus. You see, I'm, I'm going I'm to leave you with this, with, a, with an analogy, with a, with, a, with a word picture, an example from my life. I played football in high school, and I don't know how many of you are football fans, um, but I'm just going to explain this. It's pretty simple. You, most people understand the idea of, uh, you got to tackle the guy with the ball, and that's how you end up trying to win the game because then you score and then you win, right? That was confusing. Don't, don't worry about that. I used to play football in high school. Didn't know anything about football. It, the coach put me on defense, and he was just like, all right, when they call hut, you see the guy with the ball, he put me as a linebacker. He's like, just run after the guy with the ball, tackle him to the, to the ground. I'm like, sure, I can do that. Grade 10, I'm like, you know, my rookie year of, of, of my football career. I'm like, let's do this. I made the team. Let's play. And every time I would go in for a tackle, I wouldn't miss the guy. I would go in for the tackle, and I would go in front of him. Or I would go in for the tackle, and I would go behind him. And I don't know what was going on. I'm like, I'm not able. Or, or sometimes I would kind of, you know, I would center him up. But, but then he would just, like, you know, knock me on my butt. And I'm like, how did that happen? I, I thought I was bigger than that guy. Or... I thought I was stronger than that guy. The coach one day pulled me aside during a scrimmage. He's like, Ruben, Ruben, come here, come here, come here. He's like, when you're tackling, you're making a huge mistake. You're not focused on your guy. And because you're not focused on your guy, you're tackling in a wrong position. You're tackling in the wrong direction because you're focused on something else. You think you're focused on the guy, but you're not. I want you, he used to grab the guy's numbers, and he'd be like, I want you to focus on the center of his numbers. That's where you hit him. And I'm like, okay, coach, sure, I'll, I'll do that. Next play, I kid you not, you don't write this, next play, sack, next sack. I mean, and, and, and that leads to me winning the defensive MVP in my rookie year. 
all of that because my coach showed me the secret. He was like, you got to focus before you can get your man. See, this is so applicable to our lives as a whole. Because if we do not fix our eyes on Jesus, when problems creep in, when worry creeps in, when pain creeps in, we're not going to be able to understand it all. The problems of this world are too much for us, which is why we have a God who we lean on, who we surrender it to, who we say in all things, I'm trusting in you, Jesus. I'm not trusting in my own abilities or my own powers to get over this stuff. But that's the question. Are we focused on Jesus? Because our focus will either lead to our faith in Jesus or our doubt of him. Next week, we're going to talk about the importance of valuing Jesus as number one. Because along with the football analogy, it wasn't just my focus and my perspective that was important that I need to reset. It was also my position. Because sometimes now I'd, I'd focus on the guy, I'd get him straight. But I was like standing up tall, and so I'd go and try to tackle him, and I would get smacked down on the ground. And our coach said, you got to lower your center of gravity. You got to lower your center of gravity. You got to get low. You got to position yourself in the right way. Because the moment you position yourself in the right way, then you can go ahead and tackle your guy. And so next week, we're going to be focused on the things of our heart and what we value and how we need to realign that as well back to God.